I have the privilege of introducing our preacher today and uh, want to make a fun announcement. Before I do that, I uh, want to backtrack. If you guys remember last week, maybe you guys were here, um, we got to literally pray over and commission out a church plant called Providence. Uh, and one of the lead pastors is Andrew Rutten, who was our uh, City Light U, our, uh, in charge of our college ministry. Andrew, we hired at 22, helped him uh, get a master's. He got married, and uh, we all got to enjoy his ministry gifts. Additionally, he literally pioneered the college ministry. There was no college uh, ministry. It grew from zero people uh, to over 100. We've seen people get baptized, and it's been really, really fun to see what God's doing. But I want to just pause and say one of the things that really allowed us to plant a church with Andrew is that he had a place to get some ministry reps, some preaching reps, to do some discipleship, to lead a team, to make disciples, and to lead interns. And uh, now he literally took about half his college ministry and went and planted a church. That's exactly what we want to see happen. We want to raise people up and send them out. And we think college ministry absolutely matters. I got saved in college, started to lead my first Bible study in college, preached my first sermon in college, and it was horrible, but I did it. And, uh, and so we want to be able to do that. And so um, maybe some of you guys are asking, what? Uh, what, who's going to lead the college ministry? Well, I'm excited to let you guys know. We found a guy uh, on Craigslist. And so um, <laughs> under help wanted, he, we just posted an app and he applied. No, I'm joking. We found a guy named John Randall. And uh, can you guys welcome up John Randall with me right now? I'm going to talk to you guys about him. So John... The way we got connected to John is John graduated from college uh, at a Christian school, got a Bible degree. Then he uh, came down to Omaha, was an intern under Gavin Johnson while he was doing college ministry for two years. You got raised up. Uh, Gavin taught you how to teach the Bible, do some fun stuff. And so after two years with Gavin, you were like, I'm done with him. I'm over it. Let's have the breakup talk. No joking. It's only a two-year internship. Relax. So you went out to Colorado, became a pastor at a church about four or 500 out there, and uh, have been there for five, six years. And you, uh, you were married to your wife, Lacey, at the time, had three kids since there. Uh, you have three little girls, five, two, and four-month-old. So you've got a full tribe of all girls. It's a little sorority house. Way to go. And so um, then uh, we called you and said, hey, man, we've got this opening. Would you consider it? And uh, John is a guy who's incredibly genuine. He loves the Word of God. He's a gifted communicator, teacher, and preacher, which you're going to see today. And uh, we wanted to bring a guy like you in to give not only leadership to the whole college ministry, but to, to raise up other interns and future preachers and teachers. So, John, we couldn't be more excited that after praying about it, you said yes. And you are literally in Colorado about to pack up your U-Haul and drive your family here. This guy starts in about a week and a half. And so, um, so we're excited to have you and your family in Omaha and to hear from uh, you today. So let me pray right now. So, King Jesus, I want to say thank you. You continue to hear our prayer. We are praying that, uh, that you would send us laborers uh, for the work of ministry here in Omaha, and you continue to provide incredible people to join the story. So I'm thankful for John and his wife, Lacey, that they would hear your voice, they would respond to your call on their life, and they would be willing to leave comforts and friends and relationships in Colorado to come and be a part of what you're doing here. God, I want to pray for this man, that you have spoken to him this week. We know he has a great word, but God, even on this final uh, hour here, would you give him confidence and empowerment to preach the word of God like it was his first time. And so we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Can you guys clap for John? Get this guy a little love. Thanks, Chris. I need all the prayers I can get. Uh, I'm not used to preaching three sermons. Uh, so I got a donut. I got some coffee, recharged. I, know, I just need prayers because our week's been insane. We were at the same conference that Chris was talking about. Uh, then we flew over here, signed a lease on place. 
Uh, I'm literally leaving right after I preach, so it's not because I quit or because I don't like you. Uh, I just have to catch an airplane to get home, and then we move out uh, in a couple of weeks, as Chris said. But uh, honestly, this is surreal for my wife and I to be a part of the story of City Light. We've seen some things happen from afar, and it's just been amazing to see what the Holy Spirit has done in and through City Light in the city of Omaha. Uh, and so we're, we're honored, super honored to be a part of this story. Well, if you've got your Bibles, open them up to John chapter 9. John chapter 9. I want to kick things off with a question. Uh, the question is this. Have you ever thought you could see something only to discover later that you couldn't really see it? Have you ever thought you could see something only to discover later that you couldn't really see it? Let me give you some examples of what I'm talking about. Uh, I grew up in Florida, and if you're from this state, uh, there's a terrible catchphrase that we use to describe this state, and it's this. It's the place that people go to die. Uh, It's a terrible catchphrase. We're terrible people. Um, But... Uh, you will experience this if you ever go driving in the state of Florida. Because without fail, you're probably going to come across some four-foot-old grandma who's driving her Buick down the road. She can barely see over the steering wheel. She comes into my lane, causing me to careen off the road. She thought she could see, but she discovers that she can't see. Well, four-foot grandmas aren't the only people that can't see. Uh, I have discovered that there are many times where I think I can see, but I can't see. Do you guys remember those 3D optical illusions, these computer-generated images? They'd print off on these massive posters. They were blurry, but they had all kinds of shapes and objects. But if you were to, like, squint at it the right way, you were able to see some sort of object, right? Like a cat or a car or the space shuttle. I'd always claim I could see something on that. I'd just make something up because I didn't want to be the last kid that couldn't see it while all the other kids are going to play on the playground. And here I am stuff, or left squinting at this photo. So not only could I not see, now I was lying about actually seeing in the first place. Uh, one last example uh, for us this morning. Uh, the modern invention of instant replay in sports is amazing. Let me set the scene. How many of us have ever been watching a football game and and a play goes down and we hop up off our couch and we're like, that was pass interference, ref. What are you, blind? And then we watch the replay and turns out the refs were actually right and we were wrong, but we just created that really awkward moment right there by jumping up off the couch and yelling at the TV. Your wife's just shaking her head. The neighbors that you invited over because you want to tell them about Jesus are just looking at you like, what's wrong with you? If you go into the kitchen, you're not even hungry. You just want food because you're just like, I got to break this awkward tension that I just created in this room. In that moment, we think we can see, but in the reality, we can't see. This works in a spiritual sense. This works in a spiritual sense. All of us think we can see spiritually, but the truth is we can't. Most of us in this room think we have an accurate view of ourselves. We think we have an accurate view of God. We think we have an accurate view of the world. But as we open up the scriptures, we will find out that most of us don't. The reality is that most of us think, ah, we're not that bad. And God, yeah, he's not really that good. But as we're going to go through this story this morning, my hope and my prayer is that we see that we are far worse off than we would want to believe. But God is far greater and far better than we would ever dare to dream. What we need this morning is spiritual eyes. We need spiritual sight. As we walk through John 9, I want to give us a working definition of what spiritual sight is so that we can understand the scriptures better. Here's my working definition of spiritual sight. You can write this down. Spiritual sight is perceiving your need for Jesus. 
Spiritual sight is perceiving your need for Jesus. See, the Bible confirms that you and I are all born into a world of sin. That we are all sinners. And when sin comes into play, we walk around in darkness. Here's the novel thing about darkness. You can't see anything when you're walking around in darkness. How many of us have got up in the middle of the night trying to, or not using the flashlight that's on our iPhones to go to the kitchen to get something to eat? None of us do that, right? Because if you don't use that flashlight, you're going to find yourself three minutes later in the kitchen cursing because you just stepped on a toy that your kid left out, right? You need a light to see. The good news of the scripture is Jesus is that light. John 9 unpacks this great spiritual truth. This great spiritual truth is this. Just as Jesus healed a man born blind, Jesus wants to heal our eyes spiritually. Just as Jesus physically healed a man's eyes, Jesus wants to spiritually heal our eyes. Jesus wants to open up our eyes so that we see Jesus as the sent one from heaven to us, here to save us, here to redeem us, here to push back the darkness, here to undo our root problem, which is sin. He's here to show us what God is like, that we might trust in Jesus, that we might believe in his name and have life. This matters for us today. This matters for us today because I believe right here in this service at City Light Church, God wants to open up some eyes. God wants to open up some eyes spiritually so that we perceive our need for Jesus. But here's the tragic reality. Here's the tragic reality. You can come and sit in a church service. You can raise your hands. You can get connected with a a city group. You can get connected on a serving team. You can be a part of everything that the City Light Church culture offers. You can do it all and still miss your need for Jesus. You can still not see who Jesus really is. The reason I know that is because I used to be one of those people. I used to sit right where you sit right now thinking I knew Jesus, but I did not see my need for him. Church, what we need isn't another pep talk. Another motivational speech that just simply, we leave this place just simply observers of the Bible. What we need is a radical encounter with the Holy Spirit that we become worshipers of the God that we read about in this Bible. So this morning, as I'm going to walk through three points. And as we unpack John 9, it's again my hope and my prayer that the Holy Spirit opens up our eyes so that we see our need for Jesus. Point number one is this. People are not theological problems to be solved. People are real and need Jesus. People are not theological problems to be solved. People are real and need Jesus. The story we heard just kicks off with the disciples and Jesus coming across this blind man. And the disciples ask this great theological question to Jesus. In verse 2, it says, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Now, those two correlations exist in our culture today, do they not? How many people believe that if something bad is happening in your life, then that means you screwed up somewhere along the way and God is just punishing you, right? How many of us believe that, oh, if my car broke down, then that means I slept with my girlfriend and God is punishing me for that? Or or likewise, the other correlation exists. How many people believe that if you have a bunch of issues in your life, then somewhere along the line, mom and dad screwed up? Because there's a message in our culture that says you're just a product of your environment. So if you're struggling to make it, just blame mom and dad. 
Those two correlations exist in our culture today. But I love how Jesus enters into this question and he responds in verses 3 through 5. It says, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And then Jesus actually heals this guy. He heals this guy. First, Jesus is saying this. He's like, guys, you're not seeing this the right way. You're you're missing it. Because it's not always a one-to-one correlation where if things are going bad in your life, then that means you either screwed up somewhere along the line or your parents did. You're missing the point. And a little bit of Theology 101 will help us understand Jesus' response. All suffering comes from original sin, but not all suffering comes from personal sin. Did you catch that? All suffering comes from original sin, but not all suffering comes from personal sin. Let me explain this a little bit. When God created Adam and Eve, Adam and Eve are the first parents, or there are parents, or the first humans that were created. And they enjoyed perfection with God, but then they disobeyed God. And when they disobeyed God, that was the first or the original sin. And from that sin has come generation of generation of generation of sinners. And from that uh, sin, a curse was created. A curse that acted like a ripple effect in our world, causing suffering throughout the generations. So, the lesson we learn from Jesus' response is this. The source of all that has gone wrong in this world isn't simply bad karma. And it's not because your parents screwed up. The reason everything has gone wrong in this world is because of sin. Now, sometimes our personal sin can cause physical harm to our bodies. But Jesus is trying to say, hey, that's not always the case. Now, if we're honest with this text, and as I've dug into it, I've wrestled with the question of why. God, why do you allow suffering? Why, do you, why did you cause this man to be, or why did you allow this man to be born blind? I'll be honest, I can't answer that question. I, I can't. I can't answer that question for you this morning, but I can answer this question. What is God going to do about suffering? What is God going to do about suffering? His name is Jesus. Jesus has been sent into this world to provide healing, both physical and spiritual. Do you realize that the gospel of John, I can tell you why John actually wrote his gospel. He says it later on. He says that all these things are written that you may believe. That means all the works that Jesus does, all the works that he displays in and among the people are done for one purpose so that we would see our need for Jesus and respond to him by believing in his name and having life. The second way that Jesus responds to the disciples' question is awesome. It's not a verbal response. Jesus actually acts Jesus does an action. Jesus responds to the disciples' question by actually healing this guy. Now, I don't want to dog on the disciples, but one of the things that I find kind of interesting is that when the disciples looked at this man born blind, they asked a theological question. But when Jesus looked at this man born blind, he saw a man who needed his healing touch. Church, how many of us have looked at people as theological problems to be solved rather than persons, real people who need Jesus? Back in April, I had this gal at our church named Jamie come into my office. 
And Jamie was wanting to go to this healing conference, and she was seeking counsel about whether she should go or not. Uh, Jamie had Lyme disease, and this disease had caused all kinds of complications in her life. She struggled with sensitivity to light. She struggled with sensitivity to electronics. Uh, She would wear these big hats. She would wear huge sunglasses and be covered from head to toe in clothing. This disease was so debilitating, it literally dissolved her social life. It, it, It crushed her physically. Her strength was gone. So as Jamie was sitting in my office, rather than praying over Jamie, rather than seeing what Jamie needed, rather than brainstorming ways in which the church could come alongside her and help her. I didn't do any of that. I just went into this huge theological tirade of why she shouldn't go to this conference. Because as she explained this healing conference to me, there were some serious red flags. The, the, the conference was shady at best. And I went into this huge just discussion on theology, but it wasn't out of love. It was out of me trying to show off how smart I was. And why she shouldn't go to that conference. Well, a couple weeks later, I was in a church service. And her husband, Brian, was uh, standing uh, in front of me during worship. And next to Brian was this blonde-haired girl. And at first, I thought it was his sister. But when he put his arm around her and then kind of went down to, like, the lower back a little bit, I was like, whoa, this is weird. What is happening here? So I immediately went into, like, pastoral counsel mode and was like, how am I going to confront Brian? Dude, like, you got to love your wife. Marriage is between man and a woman. Like, you can't bring random girls to church. You're married. Like, this isn't going to work. Uh, but before I could get too far down that road, this blonde-haired girl turns around, and I immediately knew it was Jamie. No hat. No glasses. She's wearing a Sunday dress. She's got color back in her face, and she looks at me with a smile and says, Hey, John, I forgot to tell you, God healed me. I was like, What? I was stunned. I didn't know what to say. I was just left speechless. And it's in those moments that I think the Holy Spirit likes to get a hold of us when we're done talking. And the Holy Spirit just brought this question to my mind. John, do you actually see Jamie? Like, do you see her as a real person? Do you see her as a real person who needs me, not your theological prowess? Now, now hear me on this. I'm not trying to make theology the bad guy here. Jamie and I had multiple conversations even after the conference talking about what the theology was behind this conference and what healing it really is according to the scriptures. But As we began to talk, our conversations were filled with a lot more prayer. They were filled with a lot more praise. They were filled with a lot more of me just asking simple questions. Jamie, how are you doing as a person? Jamie, how how can I pray for you today? How can we uh, go before Jesus and ask him for something in your life today? Now, this is a total subjective uh, interpretation of the text, but this is what I think happened. When Jesus was asked this theological question by the disciples, I don't even think he made eye contact with them when he responded. I think all eyes were on the blind man in front of him. I think all eyes were on the blind man in front of him. In that moment, and when I was there with Jamie, the Spirit convicted me that the theology of God had led the Father to give up his Son because he loved humanity, whereas my theology was leading me to be prideful. My theology was leading me to be arrogant. My theology was leading me to, be, to show off my intellect. 
City Light, here's the truth. We will never be able to see people as in need of Jesus unless we first see that Jesus looked at us as being in need. That we are the blind person in this story. And that Jesus didn't look at us as a theological conquest. Jesus looked at us as a person who needed him, who needed a healing touch. Jesus saw this man's physical blindness and he healed him. But here's the reality of the rest of this story. Is there's a much greater danger than physical blindness. There's spiritual blindness as well. And it's much more dangerous. This leads me to point number two. Point number two is this. Knowing Jesus as the Savior is not the same thing as seeing your need for him. Knowing Jesus as the Savior is not the same thing as seeing your need for him. If we pick back up the story, the blind man gets healed, and then he comes back to his neighborhood. And the whole neighborhood gets thrown into a frenzy, right? Which, I mean, it's crazy what happened. It's not every day that a blind man goes to the swimming pool and then comes back and is able to see. Like, that would throw your neighborhood into a frenzy. So the neighbors aren't really sure what to make of this story, so they say, what do we do? Well, they decide to take this blind man to the Pharisees because they want to get to the bottom of the story. Did this really happen? It would be a lot like if you saw a medical miracle and you decided to go to the University of Nebraska Medical Center and you're like, hey, here's this guy's chart. Is this real? Did this happen? Is this a hoax? What's going on here? And as the Pharisees investigate whether this miracle is true or not, they quickly become divided. They quickly become divided. If you look at verse 16, there's one half of the Pharisees, and they say this. How can a man who is a sinner do such signs? See, some of the Pharisees were essentially saying, this guy just opened up the eyes of the blind. Like, that's God-like power. Maybe we should reconsider the claims of Jesus. And additionally to that, if you actually look at verse 18, it indirectly proves that the Pharisees could not deny that this man's eyes had been opened because the parents' testimony confirmed it. They literally were stuck in a rock and a hard place because they could not deny that this man's eyes had been opened at the hands of Jesus. Then there's another camp. The other Pharisees get all bent out of shape because Jesus healed on the Sabbath. And so they say this, This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. In other words, they're saying, hey, we shouldn't just listen to Jesus because he performed a miracle. This guy's not following God's law. He's not listening to what God has commanded us to live. And so the Pharisees are divided. But here's the problem. See, some of the Pharisees, or the Pharisees in general, had, had created these little rules to help them follow God's law. So they said, hey, we're passionate about wanting to follow God's law. In order to do that better, let's create these little rules that will help us do that. Which is so counterintuitive to the issue of the Sabbath. Because what's the Sabbath? A Sabbath is a day in which you do nothing. It's a day in which you rest. So what do you do when you do nothing and rest? I got an idea. How about we create a bunch of little rules? Like, that's so counterintuitive to that command. It's like trying to create a detailed schedule when you're trying to take a vacation. It just doesn't work. Well, one of the rules that the Pharisees came up with was that on the Sabbath, you were not allowed to heal a man unless his physical life was in danger. You weren't allowed to heal a man unless his physical life was in danger. Do you guys see the irony in that statement? Do you see the irony? Because while this blind man's physical life wasn't in danger, his spiritual life was very much in danger. 
the Pharisees were blind to the very root problem of our world. And that is, apart from Jesus, you and I will perish in our sins. We will end up in suffering. We will end up in darkness apart from Jesus, the light of the world, entering into our world so that we can perceive our need for him and respond in worship and faith. The fundamental problem for the Pharisees is that they had a knowledge of the Savior, but they didn't see their need for one. See, they, they knew that a Savior was coming that was going to open the eyes of the blind. That was predicted in the Old Testament. But when they saw Jesus, they didn't want him to be their Savior. See, there's a difference between knowing something versus seeing it. There's a difference between knowing it and seeing it, right? Like, I know that the 1995 Nebraska Cornhuskers are the greatest college football team to ever play the game, right? I know that. But there's a difference between reading about that in some stat sheet and then actually watching video of Tommy Frazier just run all over my beloved Florida Gators. It was not a good year. Uh, There's a difference. There's a difference between knowing something and seeing something. And this was certainly true in my life. Because I grew up in the church. I knew that Jesus was the Savior of the world. There was just one problem. I didn't see the need for him to be my Savior. That he is the Savior of my sins. And it wasn't until 2009 when I moved to Omaha, Nebraska the first time. And I met this tall, lanky, pale dude from Waverly, Nebraska. Who says weird things like folks and mispronounces every word with W. Do you guys track that? Do you see that when he preaches? Uh... Anyway, uh, if, unless this is your first Sunday, uh, I'm talking about Gavin Johnson. And as Gavin began to disciple me in the truths of the gospel, my eyes were opened. The Holy Spirit opened my eyes so that I was able to see that Jesus isn't just a Savior, but that he's my Savior. Now let's get practical here. Because some of you might want to ask, well, John, that's great. What did you see specifically, though? What did you see specifically? This is what I saw specifically. I saw the depth of my sin and how grace covered that sin. I saw the depth of my sin and how grace covers that sin. And how you see that is through the act of repentance. And so I do this really quick 10-minute exercise. I've been doing this ever since I met Gavin. And it's an easy uh, way to uh, categorize repentance and see your uh, sin and also see your, uh, how grace covers that. And so what I do is I take a sheet of paper and I draw a line down the middle. And in the left-hand side, I write down my sin. And in the right-hand side, I write how grace covers that sin. And so today, because I need grace today, because I need to see my need for Jesus today, because I don't want to walk in darkness, because I don't want to have blind spots, here are some things that I could write. Here's one sin that I could write in that column. I struggle with parenting my kids. Anybody been there? I struggle with parenting my kids. There are so many times where I'm caught parenting my or disciplining my child because I'm annoyed with them rather than because I love them. And so this week, this is the wickedness of my own heart. This week, as we were traveling and on airplanes and in uh, hotel rooms and just not away away from the comfortability of our home, I found myself avoiding holding my four-month-old because when she would sit with me, she'd get all squirmy, she would get fussy, and I'd get frustrated, and I'd get annoyed, and I didn't know what to do, so I passed her off to my wife. Uh, And and that's that's the wickedness of my own heart. I I avoided holding my own kid. Now, 
well, before I move on, shout out to my wife, uh, who has been awesome uh, on this trip. She's been amazing uh, with every, all the transition and just with our kids. She's been fantastic. But here's how grace covers my sin in that. Oftentimes, I think we know that God loves us, but functionally, we think he loves us because he has to. And that secretly, God's just kind of annoyed with us and putting up with us. That's not God's love for us. God loves us because he wants to. And in Jesus, God has actually brought us into his family. Do you you got to realize this, that God could actually save you and still not bring you into the family of God. Like you could have eternal life. You could have heaven. You could have Jesus forever and still not be in the family of God. Or put it another way, in order to save you, God didn't need to bring you into his family. This is like bonus round of salvation. What kind of grace is this that through Jesus, God would actually bring me, a messed up father who doesn't love his kids the right way, into the family of God because of the work of Jesus that I may be able to call God Father? What kind of grace is that? When I see this amazing grace that God has granted to me in Jesus, it empowers me to love my kids. Do you see how I see my depth of sin and how grace covers that sin? City Light, there's a difference between knowing Jesus is the Savior and seeing your need for him. And I don't care if you've been a Christian for 20 seconds or for 20 years. You need Jesus today. You need to see your, G- or see your need for Jesus today. If anything, we need to continually grow greater and greater and greater as we see our need. And you see your need when you see the depth of your sin and you see the, how grace covers that sin through the act of repentance. This is the beginning of spiritual sight. And it leads me to my last point. Point number three, seeing your need for Jesus begins with admitting you are blind. Seeing your need for Jesus begins with admitting you are blind. If you wrap up the story of this blind guy, it's amazing. He appears before the Pharisees again. And as he's appearing before the Pharisees, this guy clearly never saw an episode of Judge Judy. He, ne- he never got any counsel from a lawyer. Because it's like, dude, you, you can't respond to their question with another question right? You, you can't, when you give your answers, keep it as short as possible. But, but this guy's going to have none of that because he used to be blind and now he can see. And in verse 24, the Pharisees tell this guy, hey, give glory to God. What they want this guy to do is to admit that he is a sinner. They want him to admit that Jesus is a sinner, that he's not from God. Do you, do you guys see that this is crazy? The, the guy responds in verse 25 with one of the best one-liners. He says, whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. <laughs> that's just, that's the best one-liner in the scriptures, right? Well, how do you respond to that? How do you respond to that? Well, the Pharisees try to trap him, right? They, they're, they're saying, hey, give glory to God, and they, they're blind to the fact that this guy literally is a walking, talking testimony of the display of the power of God in his life. He literally is a display of the glory of God because he used to be blind, but Jesus was able to make him see. Do you realize, too, like the way in which he, told, he healed this guy? He rubbed mud on his eyes. He spit into the dirt, and he rubbed mud on his eyes. Jesus is the creator of the world. How did he create Adam? He spit into the dirt, and he formed Adam. Here is Jesus now spitting onto a guy and bringing healing, or spitting into the mud, and then healing this guy, not spitting onto the guy. That would have been weird. 
spitting it in the mud and putting, putting the mud on his eyes. That, the connection between creation and restored creation is here. Do you, this just screams that Jesus is here to save. And then he sends this guy to a pool that means sent. Later, John's going to give his own version of the Great Commission. He's going to say, just as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. This guy literally is a sent one to reveal or witness to who Jesus is as the sent one from God. Again, the Pharisees try to trap this guy. They want him to admit that he's lying. So they ask this guy to repeat the story, hoping maybe they can find uh, a mistake in this guy's story. But the blind man sees right through it. And in verses 30 through 33, he says, Why, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. But if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. In other words, this guy is saying to the Pharisees, you guys are the dumbest smart people I ever met. You're the dumbest smart people I ever met. You're missing the forest for the trees, right? Like, you guys want to complain and argue and get into the detail of where this guy comes from, which is ironic because if you look two chapters earlier, the Pharisees claimed that they knew where Jesus came from, that he came from Nazareth. But this blind guy is saying, hey, use your common sense. This guy opened my eyes. There's only one person who can do that. His name is God. Therefore, Jesus comes from God. The amazing thing about this miracle is that no one had ever healed a man born blind. The, the blind man was speaking the truth when he said that. You can read all of the scriptures. You can survey all of history. No one ever opened the eyes of a man born blind. Likewise, Jesus, in all the miracles that he did, the most common one that he did was open the eyes of the blind. Why? Because he's trying to get us to see our need for Jesus. Notice this is what happens in the story of the blind man. While his physical eyes were open, his spiritual eyes were beginning to open to who Jesus was. In verse 11, he calls Jesus a man. It's true that Jesus is a man, but he's not just like any other man because he opens the eyes of the blind. Next he says in verse 17 that Jesus is a prophet later on in the story. It's true that Jesus is a prophet. But again, read the Old Testament. You're not going to find a prophet in there who opened the eyes of a blind. And then finally we get to verses 35 and 38. And the formerly blind man comes to see Jesus for who he really is. Jesus is Lord. He is Savior and he worships him. The question for us this morning is this, is do you see Jesus? Jesus isn't just a Sunday school answer. Jesus isn't just an awesome teacher that gives you principles to live your life. Jesus is not just some prophet who does awesome miracles in your life. Jesus is God in the flesh here to save you, here to deal with the root problem in your life, which is sin. He's here to reveal who God is to push back darkness so that we would see our need for him and respond in faith. Now, I'd be remiss if I didn't end with this. How do we get spiritual sight? How do we get spiritual sight? Well, verse 39 tells us, it gives us the answer. For judgment I came into this world that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Super Debbie Downer verse as Jesus ends uh, John chapter 9. But what he's getting after is this. The way in which we get spiritual sight is to admit that we are blind. Admit that we are blind. See, Jesus came into this world to save. He came to save sinners. He came to save a world that is dominated by sin. That implies that we are messed up, that this world is a messed up place. If I were to come into your world and I were to say, hey, you're messed up, that's a judgment, right? 
to say that we are in need of salvation is a judgment from Jesus. And the judgment that Jesus is trying to get after here is saying, hey, you are actually blind and you need spiritual sight. You need to see your need for Jesus. That's a supernatural work of the Holy Spirit. City Light, Jesus is the light of the world. Jesus is the light of the world, and he's come to show who God is. The simple fact that Jesus had to come is a judgment on our world because it exposes us as sinners and that we need a Savior. And the truth is we'll respond in one of two ways. We'll either respond like a lost guy in the woods who has seen light for the first time. We'll run to that light. We'll go after Jesus. We'll be able to see grace for what it is. We'll be able to see our sin for what it is. We will respond to Jesus in faith. We'll begin to see other people, not as theological problems, but as people who need Jesus. We'll respond that way. Or we'll respond like a fugitive in the woods who's just been identified by the light. And we'll run. We'll go back to the darkness. We'll reject Jesus. We'll think grace is trivial. We'll begin to bypass people. And we'll retreat to the darkness doing whatever we want. May the Holy Spirit open up our eyes so that we perceive our need for him. Let's pray. God, I ask that you would do the heavy lifting, even now in this third service. God, that your spirit would move amongst the people today. That we would walk out of this place perceiving our need for you in maybe new ways. God, that we would not see people as theological conquests, but that we would see people as in need of Jesus. That we would see ourselves as in need of Jesus. God, may we come to you not just knowing you as the Savior, but seeing you as the Savior. And Jesus, may we cling to the grace that you have given to us, that it covers our sin. And God, would you do a work here this morning? In your son's name I pray. Amen.